Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pensive Politics, Mr. Watson. I'm your host, Christian Watson. And um, so since ever since I did the Scott Bayer interview, I've had an outpouring of a lot of support and contacts, people who I never even realized or figured would be into my content. And one of those people I have here today, Mr. Jeremy Ivey, who is an actor, producer, writer, uh, who's trying to make it in Hollywood and who, when he messaged me, mentioned he was going to basically going to war against the Hollywood oligopoly, essentially. And so when someone says that to me and having a foreknowledge of what's going on in Hollywood, I, I'm necessarily interested. I mean, Scott Bale and other people like Roseanne Barr, they've all, and Tim Allen, they've all kind of been on the forefront of this push. And so it's always nice to get someone on the ground floor who has a understanding of all this stuff. So Jeremy, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on. No problem. No problem at all. So tell me, um, I, The Tangled Web, that's one of the movies that you're known for, and I, I watched it. Productions like that, I think, really just show how rich storytelling can be through the visual media. And it's unfortunate that for a good majority of, uh, of, of cinematic history, there have been a select group of people, a select group of companies that have had dominion over that kind of art of storytelling. Now with the advent of the digital age and YouTube and so many other things, the monopolies are being broken apart, of course, which is why you're able to do what you do. How, what's been your experience getting involved in this market? And what has been your experience overall in, with individuals in the entertainment industry? Um, have they received your work very good? Have they received it not very good? What's been your story throughout this entire journey of yours? Well, uh, as you mentioned YouTube, you know, that's the, the big thing for me was back, I was working for a small independent uh, production company back in 2010, 2011. And I sat in my office one day and watched an entire feature film on YouTube. It was the first time I'd ever done that. And the actually the guy that directed my film Tangled Web, uh, Kenny Davis, he and I worked together and he told me about the red camera and I put the pieces together. I was like, this is going to change everything. Um, that you can camera, they can shoot such high quality for such a relatively inexpensive price. It changes the whole industry. And really at that time, the, the Hollywood model itself was on toothpicks. I mean, it was ready to crumble, but you know, they've got billions of dollars that they can just keep pumping into these movies that are remakes and the reboots and the, the Marvel movies, you know, all those things. And it's not that they're bad movies, but it's just a situation where still us little guys, uh, even if we can go out there and shoot something that is solid quality, we don't have that marketing machine behind us. And so that's the, the, the toughest thing is trying to figure out how to pull people into our world. Because, you know, I shot this movie, a couple of movies that I really like are The Departed, and the born identity right and so tangled webs kind of in that vein of, of genre well they had 1000 times the budget or more than i had to do my movie and so because they have that machine going they can pump it out there they can call leonardo dicaprio they can call a matt damon and they're going to get you know big publicity off of that release whereas with with the guy like me it's not necessarily going to happen that way so that's the biggest fight. You know, the fight isn't making the product because back, you know, just 20 years ago, it would have been impossible for me to produce Tangled Web 
the way I did because I paid everyone who worked on it. I rented the equipment. Um, that's something that would have been impossible to do just 20 years ago. And the fact that I was able to do that, and it's a sense of pride, you know, to be able to accomplish it. But at the same time, to get that marketing machine going, how do you find people who will purchase the product? Um, that's the biggest thing that you're still fighting against. But, uh, you know, I have meet a lot of people from L.A., from New York. You know, I get to work with them a lot on a lot of the, the shows I work on. And there's this glimmer in their eye when they see the, the trailer for Tangled Web. And you can tell they're impressed that it happened. How did he do, you know, how do you make this movie? And um, when you're kind of stuck in L.A., you think you can't do it. I mean, out there, it is just the, the cost of licensing and all the things you have to do to get permitting to shoot. It's harder to do it out there than where I'm, I'm from, Alabama. Uh, I was able to shoot my film in Alabama and Mississippi and relatively nothing. Um, so that's the thing. It's like they have this glimmer like, wow, he could do that. And I think a lot of them wishes they had that opportunity as well. So I, it's growing and I think it's there. And I think you see uh, Ben Shapiro just did it on um, where he's putting like a pay site in, in his website where people can just go watch his movie that he self-produced. So I think Hollywood is on notice and, and it's a teetering uh, business model for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I think that and, and conservative media personalities that have making documentaries and movies all about themselves. Nesta Souza, Glenn Beck. I mean, they've and those have gone to theaters. Those have made a lot of money. So I yep. think that the oligopoly or the oligarchy or the monopoly, whatever phrase you want to use to identify the current disposition of Hollywood is slowly deteriorating. It is corroding beneath the creative energies and efforts of people like yourself. Um, so... What, what would you say, because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, because I watched Tangled Web, and I was thinking in the back of my head all the time, you know, it's, uh, this is, it, it takes a certain level of skill to write, not only just write the, the script of the movie, write the scripts for all the actors, and to have a coherent plot line. That's not easy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can tell, that's not really easy. It takes a lot of revision, takes a lot of um, going back, probably a lot of head scratching, probably a lot of screaming. You know, any any creator, any artist is going to have to revise their work if their work is, is worth a damn. If their work is not worth a damn, then then that's just that. I think that a lot of these remakes aren't worth a damn either, in my opinion. Oh, no, but um, so... Yeah, no, they're just not worth a damn. They're just basically manufactured trash to appease people on the basis of nostalgia, yeah. right? And sometimes a movie doesn't need a remake. Yeah. Sometimes the original is fine. For Absolutely. example, Hallow Halloween. Yeah. The original Halloween was fine. I didn't, I'm like, I, I didn't mind it. I was fine. It's a classic. I watched every Halloween. Then you have Rob Zombie come along in 2008 and create yeah. a monstrosity. I don't yeah. even know why Rob Zombie has the has the license to create films. His music is terrible, and his yeah. films are bad, in my opinion. So, so um, it's I just I don't. It's that kind of commercialized trash which keeps driving up the numbers. Yeah. But I have to ask you, COVID has also put the film industry on notice. Oh yeah, and a lot of you know brick and mortar theaters like mm -hmm. AMC and also on they're kind of scrambling and streaming is getting a little bit more powerful. Do you yeah. think the rise of streaming platforms is going to give more hope for independent filmmakers like yourself or will the streaming itself become more homogenized as it is now with Netflix being the top you, dog in that industry? You, you hit the head, you hit the, the nail right on the head there. See that when I first kind of had my vision okay and i was actually writing tangled web at the time when i started learning all this in 2010 it was late 2010 early early 2011 and 
Uh, you're talking about writing. I don't know if it's skill at all. I, I have I, like if you start talking to me about Shakespeare, any of the great writings, I'm actually terrible at that. That's not my aptitude at all. Like I'm more of a math guy and a business centric guy. Um, but it's just I have a, a vivid imagination. I'm a very linear writer. Um, I write starting at the beginning of the movie. And if I ever get stuck, I can't, even if I know what's going to happen, I can't just jump. I have to wait until I can make that bridge. But um, when you're talking about Netflix, see, they've become now what used to be that theater. Um, back just in 20, uh, what was it, 2016, um, when I was looking at different avenues to, to release Tangled Web out on, the cost just to get it looked at, just to, that they're going to run it through their quality control to get a chance was ridiculous. And that's only going up. And you see now what they're doing with, with Netflix, especially, because that's the lead dog for sure. I mean, they're pumping out movies like Nike pumps out shoes now. I mean, it's nothing now. They're just dumping 50 million over here into this movie. Let's put Will Smith in it. Let's dump 60 million over in this one. Let's put Adam Sandler and whoever else in it. So it, it's one of those things now where it's become its own machine. So the great thing is, for independent film there's still areas where we can release our film but man it's becoming now where it used to be the 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 oligopolies were taking over the theater industry well now they're just doing it to the streaming sites through different series and movies and it's not and again i don't i'm a capitalist so go for it if people are gonna buy you know pay 15 20 bucks for netflix a month hey you got a good business model let it ride you know what i'm saying but it still makes it tough. You know, there's always a new hurdle. And that's why, you know, back in 2011 was when I really wanted to, to get this going because I saw that ascension of streaming at that time. And I was like, man, if I can get something out here right now, kind of get on the ground floor, it'd be great. But, you know, it doesn't always happen on the timing you, you want. But I do think like you're talking about Netflix, Hulu, Prime Video, Disney Plus. And you see now all the, the studios, the um, network TV, you got NBC, CBS, they're all going to their own streaming platform. So all the things we were trying to do to get away, go wireless, you know, get rid of your cable and just have one thing. Well, now you need all those things. So you're right back in the same boat we were in, you know, just five or six years ago. Right, right. And and so what do you think about Consolidator streaming things like Roku or Amazon Prime or things of that sort? Are they kind? Because a lot of folks are indeed cutting their cable and just having a Roku, having a Fire Stick or whatever, and they get everything from everything from yeah. there. So what do you yeah. think about that? Well, I mean, it's the same thing. Again, we used to have, you know, DirecTV or Dish or whatever, and you've got 300 channels. Well, now you get a Roku TV and you have 300 apps, you know. So I think that we as a society, we didn't really, we thought we were changing, um, but you know, you have to credit anything that, that I can say about, because I do think there is a, a, an aspect, like I, I say an oligopoly, um, which is a little different than a monopoly. These are multiple businesses who kind of, not conspire, but they all kind of stay on the same wavelength, say, hey, we're not gonna get too crazy over here with what we charge, as long as you kind of stay right around that same way. And they kind of keep the market where they want it in that way. And that's why I call it an oligopoly. But again, it's like, if you're a consumer, if you have consumers and they're willing to pay the money, um, I'll never can just crap on it. You know what I mean? Right. Even though it makes it hard on me 
as a, as a film producer who would love to get that traction and, and get up to a level where I'm, you know, self funding producers, you know, producing movies all the time. Um, I can't just crap on them. <laughs> you know, they're doing the right thing for them and for their business and for their shareholders. So, uh, but at the same time, it does make it tough. And, and I don't know the answer. Uh, I know a lot of people do a lot of, a lot of people I know produce a lot of, you know, low budget indie films. And um, it's just not, I, I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again, because I know like we're a tangled web, right? I know technically where any of the struggles are. And I know exactly where it could have been better if I would have had five times the budget. You know, I don't need a thousand times the budget, but if I had five times my budget, um, I could have done a lot better. So I see those things and I know that struggle. And it's just, it's one of those things that kind of eats at me. I edited the movie myself. And so every single thing that I could see, I saw, you know what I mean? It was like a constant struggle of trying to figure out how can I maximize this movie? And I think that's one of the things you mentioned, the um, documentaries, right? And I've talked to some, I've reached out to some, some of the people you're talking about, the, these conservative pundits and documentaries are, are good. They're fine, but they're also kind of an echo chamber. You know, um, I can do a documentary about something I believe in, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm going to slant it towards my beliefs. That's just kind of the way documentaries work. Well, if people agree with me, they're going to love it. They're going to watch it. Wow. That was a great documentary. Very informative. But if someone disagrees with that position, they're just going to crap on it the whole time. Say it's all lies. And so I think the documentary wave over the last, uh, what, maybe four or five years, it, I think it, it's kind of run its course. And that's why I give Shapiro credit, at least, you know, not that I watched the trailer for that movie. I didn't watch it. It was kind of I contrived. I didn't really care for the, uh, it's kind of like a, a Hollywood movie. It was a bloated budget contrived story i didn't really get into it so i didn't watch it but at least he's trying something different going the narrative route and we all complain about these hollywood liberal elites but we keep going and watching their movies we keep getting netflix and all this so i think going the narrative route is what we need to do um even if you're if you're somebody who's just completely don't care about politics apolitical um but people who are right-leaning conservative-leaning libertarian-leaning whatever stop complaining and find people to partner with and let's produce our own narrative content. We can make good movies that can compete um, and then get rid of the politics. You know, if you get the great thing about the first amendment is I can talk politics. I can talk religion, talk about whatever I want. Um, I just happen to be a right leaning person, a more libertarian, um, you know, Christian person, you know, so that I wouldn't necessarily fit into the mode of a Hollywood you know, guy. But if more people on my side just started making good movies, that's all that matters. You know, let's just make good movies. We don't have to try to influence society through documentaries. Just show that good, solid, normal people can get out there and make good movies. You know, I think that's right. something we need to try to do. Right, right. And I think that the documentary wave, as you mentioned, I think that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that Michael Moore was really one of the pioneers of that. Absolutely, Columbine was, yeah. was huge. Absolutely, even if yep. people hated it, and I didn't mm -hmm. mind. I watched it. 
I couldn't stand it. I, I said one I made through the movie. But even if people hated it and realized that his arguments were full of non sequiturs and logical leaps, and he was being selective, yeah. he was being manipulative, he was being entirely, he was basically letting his partisanship drive his ability to make an argument, which is why it was so bad. That movie yeah. on both sides had a tremendous impact. It drove policy. It drove discussions. A lot yeah. of conservatives saw that and said, you know what? Let me try to do that. But I think the yeah. problem is... I think Michael Moore had more sympathetic ears in certain high places, whereas more conservative documentarians don't really have yeah. those sympathetic ears. And they, they can't, it's imitation, right? You cannot necessarily always go after the masters. Sometimes the masters need to be put in their own place and let them do, do their own thing. When you have yeah. Dinesh D'Souza saying, oh, Obama's America and coming out with that, a good majority of the country that voted for Obama is not going to watch that. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not going to watch that. They're, they're going to think you're crazy. And when you have yeah. all this other stuff, Hillary's evil, and regardless of if that's true or not, you're yeah. producing basically propaganda pieces that do not appeal mm -hmm. to people. Bowling yeah. for Columbine did have a wider appeal because it wasn't more particularly saying a single thing immediately. He got to his point afterwards. It was mm -hmm. him analyzing a touchstone event in American history, which many people uh, at the time were thinking about. It was fresh on their minds. And he analyzed yeah. it and moved to the position afterwards. So I just think that a lot of conservative documentarians are not doing themselves a favor by stating their arguments first and yeah. then putting forth their, um, uh, their, their film. They should probably, and this is what we learn in philosophy, try to investigate first, then put your position right there. Yeah. I think that would be the best thing they could do. But um, speaking of the narrative route, and I'll let you respond to all that too. Speaking of the narrative route, um, I, I find that it's, you can still influence people that way i think as you mentioned but i also think that you can still be biased that way too but maybe it's a little bit harder to discern because with the narrative route it's not necessarily you taking a bunch of non-fiction stuff it's you creating something that may or may not correspond to certain events in reality or certain actual occurrences in reality but there i mean you know christopher nolan i think he's one of the most brilliant directors in hollywood a lot of his stuff the dark knight and everything are commentaries mm -hmm. about a lot of social issues but oh, yeah. people don't realize it because it's too deep. People don't realize it. They just see the characters and everything. But if they actually stepped, took, took a step back and actually realized, okay, what is no one trying to tell me? He's making all kinds of commentaries. I guess that's well, kind even of, the Dark Knight Rises, you know, yeah. that whole oh, yes. take down the rich and yeah. take oh, over the, the yeah. yeah. But it's all yeah. superheroes and supervillains. Yeah. And so it yeah. all seems so innocent and fun. But I mean, if people internalize that message, that could yeah. be some dangerous stuff. <laughs> so you know i yeah, think that's absolutely right Go on. Yeah. but i think that that's that was kind of the point i was hitting on is, is you i think you agree with me is it's we if you present something as a narrative piece like tangled web i mean there's not really a a political meaning to it it's just kind of this weird you know thing i came up with but i do have some of my movies and some of my uh, series that i've written where absolutely my political my view of the world so to speak is going to seep into that right so if so happens one of these series i wrote you know i have like a five season story arc okay well if it gained a fan base and my thoughts are seeping in throughout this world that i've created then you're absolutely right people are going to notice notice it somewhat uh maybe just on the surface at times and then you'll have other people who may notice it deep down you know, what is driving me? What is my view of the world as I'm creating my own? Because that's kind of the coolest thing about writing 
is you're just kind of creating your own world, you know, and uh, I watch, um, you know, Bob Ross, the painter. See, I love it. And that's what he would course, talk about. You get to create your own world. You get to put this tree here and there's little squirrels playing. And it's the same thing when you're a writer, you are, you're just constructing your own alternate universe, you know, of, of, of earth, you know, I'm here on earth, but now I've kind of split the plane and now I'm down here on this parallel one that I've created. And it's a, it's a great way just to release um, if you're an imaginative person, but because it's running through your own brain, your own biases, your own thoughts and feelings and loves and hates and all those things kind of seep out into that writing. So I think you're absolutely right. And that's, that's another reason why it would be great to see an alternate, you know, it, instead of just everything coming from, you know, this thing where everybody has to be sensitive and you can't hurt anybody's feelings ever. You know, I grew up in the eighties. So I was a kid of the eighties. The movies in the eighties, man, it, they could not be released today. That remember, was some of the most. Remember Eddie Murphy's special during the eighties? Oh it? my God. Yes. <laughs> I love I, Eddie. I, I've gone back and watched it and I'm like, Oh my, he is surprising. Yeah. He even is allowed to be out in public these days. <laughs> I know, man. He, I remember when I, I mean, I was, I shouldn't even watching Eddie Murphy when I was, you know, that young, but um, I remember my brother rented uh, Delirious and Raw, right? And I'm just laughing, but looking back on it now as an adult, I'm like, he was being so completely xenophobic and just insensitive and all these things that we just clutch our pearls and faint on the couch now, you know? Um, he was being all of those things and doing it brilliantly. And, you know, Richard Pryor did it before him and there's been other guys like that. And it, it's so funny that you brought up Eddie Murphy because I really think that I don't want to say the death, but you know, the, the just stand up comedy is just become this saturated pool of nothing now compared to what it was. And I think that that's kind of the barometer of our first amendment is that stand up comedy where we have a strong stand up comic world where these guys get up there, these girls get up there and they just say, and whatever they want, they say whatever they want just to make you laugh. They don't care what anybody thinks about it. And we've lost that. Now you've got like politically correct stand-up comics and it's, it ruins the entire industry. And I think that that's a barometer for our entire entertainment industry and the, the, the first amendment as a whole, because we could always look to these comedians and they can say and do anything they wanted. And we all laughed at it. And we all moved on with our lives and right. didn't pretend to have our feelings hurt all the time. It is my earnest opinion that comedy, good comedy, will cause you to reflect on yourself through joy and, and also cause you to reflect on yourself through seriousness. Mm -hmm. Because the joy is like the burst of excitement that gets them into the door. When a comic makes you laugh, you've let them inside of mm. your soul almost. You let them inside of your mind. But when you begin to think about yeah. their message and it begins germinating inside of you, you think, oh, oh, hell, I just, uh, what's yeah. going on? You should have like an epiphany. Or at least this is, what, this is what happens to me when I listen to comedy. I'm an <laughs> odd guy, obviously, but that's how it's supposed yeah. to work. Why do you think Dave Chappelle is still a very famous guy? Why do you think he has the big contracts, even though he has said things about trans people mm. and everything? Why do you think? Because it, he has released something into the consciousness yeah. of the public that makes them, that sort of 
if they had any sort of politically correct visors or barriers around their mind, it makes them pull them down with the laugh and makes them think about what he's saying rather than if it was someone who was being serious and vengeful and yeah. angry, makes them immediately put their mm. barriers. Comedy is a way into the mm. soul, I think. And so, I mean, people, you're right. There's not really any good stand-up comedians around anymore. This who's this John Delaney person? Yeah, John, whatever I, his name is, I, I forgot what his name. A lot of him. He's yeah, no, I, 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 people are like, this is funny. I'm like, I can't. He's he's talking about chairs and dogs. I don't think this is funny. I think Cat Williams. I love is funny. Cat Williams. I think, Cat Williams is gold. I think, I think Lisa Lampanelli. Remember her? <laughs> yeah. Lisa Lampanelli. I think Lisa Lampanelli was hilarious, and she basically yeah. just insulted people. I think that's funny. Um, and even some comedians are beginning beginning to realize, hey, this is coming back down upon us. George Lopez, who is a profound, he, he hates exactly. conservatives and everything. He hates he hates libertarians. Even he is beginning to realize, hey, people are getting a little mm. bit too sensitive because he was heckled at one of his um, stand-up things for talking about peanuts allergies, mm. people. And so, I think even some of the more stalwart ones yeah. are realizing, okay, we're kind of entering into a twilight zone. We have to pull yeah. back. That teeter, now, how, they yeah, really, how far can they let that teeter go, and will it, it right. try to get it right. back? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. And if you talk to them, the guys that they idolize. Okay, uh, the George Lopez, Dave Chappelle, and all these guys—the guys they idolized—would be just drug out in the street today if they just started their careers talking the way they yep. they talk during the height of their career. Red I Fox. think that you have to realize that. Oh, yep. Red Fox, I love him. <laughs> which I knew him. I knew him from Sanford and Son, but um, I got to hear some of his comedy years later, and it was hard to believe that was the same uh, the same guy. But yeah, uh, I love love Red Fox. But yeah, that's the thing is it you have to realize that that's why I never, you know, there are a lot of actors, a lot of writers, a lot of producers, a lot of directors who politically, even in their, their views on just life in general, uh, I would never want to be around them, you know, but I would never let that discount the work they've done and see, and that's what we're sneaking into now, you know, with the cancel culture stuff, it's, Oh, that guy, he, he, he said he liked Trump. Oh, we can't watch his movies. Well, yeah, but if he's a good actor, watch his movie. You know, shut up. It, who cares if he likes Trump? Who cares if he likes Biden? It doesn't matter. You know, if it's good content, watch the good content, laugh and have a good day. You know, uh, we've just lost that in society. It's really, you know, it's one of the more frustrating things uh, about just being wandering through this existence right now is just that everyone just is so sensitive about every single thing. We can't just have fun, you know, it's really a, it's a struggle. That word is the operative phrase, wandering, because that's really what we're doing in modern society. We're wandering, right? Yeah. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity that progress is only effective if you know where you're going. I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. but basically that's what he was saying. But if the pathway is wrong, then you're not progressing at all. You're doing something entirely different. Mm -hmm. And we think that we're progressing by enacting all of these strict speech codes, enacting all of this self-regulation of the politically correctness into our language, into our addiction, that we're not, we don't understand the pathway though. We are basically just wandering through a vast wilderness yeah. because the pathway is leading us towards a kind of thought tyranny. The pathway is leading us to a reduction in the energies that can be expended for creativity, that can be expended for comedy and entertainment. The pathway is lead, leading us to a stale, dead, sterile culture mm -hmm. that doesn't produce anything anymore and simply serves the, the, the archetypes and the mind, the concepts of people who think they know better than the yeah. rest of us. 
we're leading ourselves to a sort of a tyranny of these overlord elites, I think. Not to sound hyperbolic, that's exactly where it's going. No, I think you're right. And I think so that it, that is the, yeah. that mindset. It's, a, it's almost a mind control technique, the manipulation. Uh, it's it's scary to see, you know, it really is. So have you, have you talked to any people in Hollywood, any big timers, quote unquote, in Hollywood or any to become a directors in Hollywood um, and about your projects or about things of this sort? And have you met any of them? And if so, what have they said? Or have you heard of any of them saying certain things? Not big, like not big time people, probably no one you've, you've met. I've talked to people who have been working at a medium to high level in, in Los Angeles, whether it be TV or, or film. And you know, the, it's, it's a different world out there, man. Like the, the, you can tell if somebody walks into your home and they're from Colombia, they've lived in Colombia their entire life and they walk in and try to converse with you, you're going to know it right away. Right. The, there's going to be a struck barrier in language. It, it is almost that thick with individuals who have lived in LA for that long, like trying to see eye to eye on things. Now I have friends, you know, people that are acquaintances and friends from out there, but the, it's like a completely different United States, you know, I mean, it's, you have the Los Angeles state of mind and then you have kind of middle America, which is more what I'm, and I don't know as many people from New York, but um, it, it is weird that, like I said, some of them have that glimmer in their eye that they can't believe I did it. But then you also get a little bit of that, eh, you know, right. it's not, Apathy. it's not a, it's not a hundred million dollar movie. Right. So what does Apathy. it matter? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And look, so that's kind of get a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And in my own career, I mean, cause I'm, I'm a budding political commentator, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I want to be in the media. I want to be out there representing these ideas before the public square. Yep. So, you know, in my own career, I've uh, I've had sometimes I put out a video or something, and uh, the video doesn't get a hundred million thousand oh, yeah. views. So folks think, oh, what does he have to say? How is that yeah. valuable? Well, I'm like, well, have you listened yeah. to the video? I think I say yeah. some valuable things. I mean, you listen to the video and make your own right. determination. It's the vain appeal of glimmer oh, and yeah. glitz. That's all that is. And that has overtaken people's faculties. That has overtaken people's ability to reason and operate truthfully in the world. Heraclitus, who was a philosopher in ancient Greek, said that everyone. The problem with men is that they have, and men being yeah. everyone, women and men, the problem with men is that they have their own private understanding and they cannot see the truth. So the problem with so many people, they have their own private understanding of what greatness is. Some of the greatest writers, some of the greatest directors were not known until mm. they died. Uh, so Edgar Allan Poe was primarily known in death. I mean, George Orwell was more famous in death than he was when he was living. Uh, Lovecraft, was he, he, he wasn't even acclaimed until he died. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, a lot of people are known after they far left oh, yeah. the world. You cannot measure greatness by measuring mm -hmm. numbers. You have to measure greatness by yeah. content and the quality of the content. And I think, you know, and, and here's one thing that bothers me. I'm not sure if you ever heard this before. Has someone ever told you you have potential? Because oh, yeah. that just really gets under my skin because it neglects what yeah. I already have. It's like, Oh, you'll get there someday, yeah. my friend. What, what, what if I'm already halfway there? What if I already have what, I, what it takes to get there? I just haven't right. arrived yet. What's going on? So how do you respond to that stuff like that? Well, I mean, you know, I'll tell you that for me, and how old are you again? I, I think you said you're 20, 21. I'm 20. I'm 20. Yeah. Um, so you got a lot more of that to deal with, you know, 
Unfortunately, uh, as, you, as you come up, um, I'm actually I'm 41, so I've been through from 32 until now is, is when I've really been full time in in the the TV and film industry, and I think that was helpful for me. Um, to be honest, when I first started writing, I was 19. Right, I first started writing movies. First had this thought, man, I would love to be able to produce my movies that I write and you know play the the lead characters and all this stuff. If it would, if I would have ever had any level, not even success, just where I get to meet individuals and they get to tell me things like that, I would probably have a completely different opinion than I do now. Now, really, as I'm older, everything just rolls off my back. Um, so I just really don't care about anything. I just, cause I don't want to be famous. I don't care about being rich. It's one of those things where if I could make a living making movies, you know, that's, and, and that's something that's doable now. So the potential stuff I used to get because I was, you know, I was good at math when I was a kid, and, you know, all these things, I was a smart kid. So, Oh, you got great potential. And when I was a kid, it was just, Oh, so that means I'm going to graduate college and have a good, you know, make a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever. Um, I just, I never really thought about it then. I was kind of, I was really a bright eyed, just optimist when I was a kid and didn't really have, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like when I was your age, I was still trying to figure everything out, you know? And so now that I'm older and I know what I want to do, criticism doesn't bother. Nothing anybody says just really has any effect on me. So whether it's potential, I know condescending talk when I hear it. The big thing that I like to tell people, they say anything about Tangled Web. That's the movie that I did myself. You know, I, I self-funded. I paid everyone that worked on this movie, and I'm very proud of of what we were able to to make happen. So, anytime I get anybody that says anything that even sounds like a condescending tone to it, I say, like, "Oh, well, show me the movie you self-funded, and and show me how to do it the right way." And then that conversation, because 99.9 percent .9 of the people I've met that would say something like that have never actually done it themselves. Exactly. So I think that that's the big thing is, is it's kind of a, it's, it's subjective that number one potential is subjective, but also from our view of it being, you know, our, our age difference um, for you, man, it's, you have a great opportunity because this medium is here for you. Right. So, you know, that opportunity is there. So all you can do is just keep plugging, man. You know, you, you, you just have to not listen to any negative stuff I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, be offended by, you know, some people let themselves be offended by it and it's going to motivate them. That's not the way I am. Um, I'm just a ignore idiots kind of guy. I don't care. And just keep going. So that's the thing you have to find the best way to deal with that on your own. Like how, how do I stay looking straight forward and not worry about the, the chatter and, you know, what's your goal? Like you have to set that goal. Like for me, when I was your age, it was, man, you know, the richest guy in the world and the, who, who's the hottest singer. I want to marry her and all that. So that's the way I was. It was all very superficial stuff. And then as I got older and, and now it's, it's legitimately, I want to make a living, making movies, take care of my, my wife and my dog. And, and that's what I want to do now. So it's a different thing based on where you're at. Nothing bothers me now. Um, I don't get offended by anything. And I think that I've gone almost too far with that because of this culture we're in now where I'm almost just, I want somebody to offend, try to offend me. I just to get it, just to mix it up, you know? 
So I really don't let any of that bother me. I just try to stay the course and I'm trying to figure out that next thing where I can just keep moving forward, you know? Absolutely. And so we're going to wrap up here in a little bit, but um, I have one more question or two more questions to ask you. Cause again, you've been a phenomenal guest and I hope to have you back sometime. And Absolutely, man. Hit me up anytime. Absolutely. I can do talk to people like you. Um, because uh, it's just, I love seeing people who want to fight, who want to grow, who want to reinvent, who want to reimagine mm-hmm. things in a legitimate way, not in a way that would oppress other oh, yeah. people, but would give other people a voice, oh, yeah. a platform to go into a certain narrative. So what does, you mentioned this, you mentioned how in retrospect, you have let experience and wisdom temper and inform your goals. What does breaking through or being successful look like for Jeremy? What does it look like for you? at this point in your life? Well, it's, it sounds so simple, man. I I say it all the time. It's making a living, making movies. Um, I've worked my very first, I grew up on a farm. Okay. Hauling hay every summer. That was what I did to make money. And that put gas in my little Beretta GT to get to school and back. Then as soon as I graduated high school, my stepdad said, you got to get a job and you still have to do hay in the summer. And so then I went and worked at a pie factory, okay? Bagging fried pies, that's what I did. I was a bank teller for several years. I've been an auditor at a hotel, been a bartender, been a waiter. And so having all those experience, I've worked every job you can imagine, every type of job. And so I know what hard work is. I know I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to get income. But for a breakthrough for me is one day you look on my IMDb and you see that I've produced, you know, 10 movies that I've written. You know what I mean? It's really that simple. Like, have I been able to produce the movies that I've written? That's all I care about. I I don't care about, you know, the Hollywood thing. If I never have a red carpet in LA, I'll be fine. Um, I just want to be able to produce. I think I have good solid content. in in my scripts, I think that now I've shown that I can do it from start to finish. You know, I did 90% of the pre-production and 99% of the post-production on Tangled Web and had a lot of great people help me uh, in the middle. And I've just kind of shown that template, you know, I can do this. And now if I can kind of get the budgets a little higher and just keep pumping it out. And a lot of that's marketing, but, um, so yeah, it's just about producing that content, man. I have so many stories that I want to tell and it's really more about have I completed, you know, some of that. And, and that's more of that as a breakthrough for me at this point in my life, you know, like I said, at 21, it was a lot different, but at 41, it's just, I just want to get that, get those stories out there. Absolutely. If I ever have a media company, I, I promise you, I, I gotta, I gotta support people like you. If I ever have the company that I want to have in the future, you, you got, it. I mean, it's just awesome. So, no, I think, I think you're doing great from what I see. And Appreciate I think it, man. you're doing great too. Where can folks find more information about you and uh, connect with you at? Well, the best thing to do is go to imdb.com to see the films I've been in. Uh, if you go get on uh, Twitter, it's at djivey. That's the, that's where you can follow my rants about politics and movies and, and sports too. If you like to see that. Um, Instagram's also at the Jivey, um, T-H-E-J-I-V-Y. You can just see pictures mostly of my dog on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could check it out. If you go to, um, rumble.com and look up the Jivey, that's where I have a uh, tangled web. I've got it up for anybody to watch that wants to watch it. Um, yeah, I just want people to see it and, and 
uh, you know, see what, make their own determination. You know, if I had Scorsese's budget, okay, could I shoot a movie as good as Scorsese? I, I don't know. Ask you'll have to make that decision on your own. <laughs> but <laughs> I appreciate it, bud. But yeah, I mean, just go. There's a lot of different little areas there. You can go check me out and um, see if you like any of my content, man. I appreciate it. No problem. And everyone else, please stay pensive. Bye-bye. Thank you.